It started from Lourdes, the Benidorm for Catholics, and it went on to the Otakam via a few climbs. It was immense. The flag dropped and Waffenart attacked and we all feigned surprise. We knew he was going to, but still we were surprised. Nielsen Paulus went on his wheel in the vague hope that he might prize from the shoulders of Simon Geschke the polka dot jersey. And yet Waffenart rode him off his wheel. He was off the front on his own for a while and then he sat back up and thought, what's going to happen next? And then a bunch of other riders attacked and it was really hard for Simon Geschke in the polka dot jersey who knew that today he had to be up the road to clinch victory in the King of the Mountains competition. But try as he might, he missed every move that mattered. And then Kofidis were on the front. There they were, closing the gap, almost getting Geshka across, and then another group went, and then they had to do it all over again, and in the end, he wasn't there. And a group got away with Trek Secretary's Giulio Ciccone, pushing on over the Col d'Obisque. Giulio Ciccone picked up 20 King of the Mountains points to move right to within three points of Simon Geshka in the King of the Mountains competition. But in the meantime, the GC race was brewing up nicely, but this time it looked as if Jumbo Visma might have the upper hand. I don't know why I'm sounding like Jimmy Savile. I'll rein that bit of this particular commentary in. And then, with 70.5 kilometres to go, David. Um, Pogacar started attacking. No, oh, no, that, no, no, oh, no, 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 no. The really significant race oh, the, moment. Oh, oh, was, well, the race, the whole race stopped for us because we saw on the road somebody had written road art saying, never strays car. But, but it didn't stop for us because we were commentating at that moment. Yeah, but. We didn't see it. No, but and, then and afterwards we had a break. And that's afterwards all we, we had a break. And, and I think then, we missed quite a bit of the race just thinking about it yeah because we were so overwhelmed with emotion at and <sighs> who were the important. listeners who were the listeners who did that David oh yeah hang on two seconds because I, was, I, I think it's here. probably a good good you know it's a good thing ultimately that we didn't see that while we yeah. were commentating because it might have totally derailed us so um, derailed me a little bit did it uh, so I was late to the party when you and David came back in well I'm getting oh, no. a, a sense of mayor culpa from uh, somebody called Wayne Confusing. Salter yeah. yep but I'm not sure if can't verify whether it was him or not. But if you did that, Wayne, thank you, Wayne. Thank you very much for taking we the risk. We were very chuffed. We did have a conversation as to whether either of you, when you were racing, had had your names um, painted on the road can't before, remember. or whether you've had to wait. You both had glorious racing careers, but it might only be this moment where you finally had, effectively, your names painted on the tarmac. So here's an interesting one. You don't see it when you're racing. And you don't watch the races back generally yeah. very much. And because it's quite like it's written mm. quite big across yeah. the road, you couldn't even make it and out. And you're coming across quite if fast you if you wanted to, you know. Because yeah. it's like you just see a big mm. meh for Miller. So yeah. minimum, <laughs> minimum, you have to have like really thick lettering, and it, it like it has to be has to go pog 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 maybe fifteen times. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. minimum pog. requirement. Can you remember, Pete, was this before your time? This is just I can't remember whether this was Lance Armstrong first time. No, it must be second time where they had like a machine that went out and just repetitively printed things on the road. Oh, yeah, they machined it. Yeah, it was like a Nike thing or a Twitter or was thing. Was it a Livestrong no, thing? No, uh, I think it was, was ASO. And they were like repeating kind of hashtags when Twitter was quite new. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Nike were involved, I think. I think they were on board Yeah, somehow. and it was just like, just so you just have a machine that was just going up, dum, 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 stamping the road. And they don't do that anymore, do they? Well, I guess they realise that's not really, that's not the spirit, is it? Yeah, it kind of might have been yeah. one of those things that backfired on them. Although I'm surprised yeah. that that still doesn't happen more often. Yeah. Because mm. That's the way the world. Well, they did it in. Um, they did it, didn't they? In this race for Phil Gilbert, he had Phil, 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 did Phil, 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 Phil. What automatically? Yeah, reproduced. Yeah, no, uh, just somebody out there painting all night. I think. Oh well, th that's fine. Yeah, handwritten. That's, that's totally fine. So I was wondering whether, in your coffee heyday, in your pomp, David, mm. 
as a young star in France. Mm. I'd be surprised if there weren't. So Cofidis, I think, of all the French teams, Cofidis have the highest number of late middle-aged men and their long-suffering families mm. who park up by the side of the road, have loads of flags, loads of bits and pieces, little tables laid out with mm. unappealing snacks on uh, them. A load of jerseys and souvenirs from previous publicity caravans completely, on strings. Completely. Uh, and they, yeah. and, but they would be most likely to have written, I think, yeah. every name of every rider in each Cofidis team at the tour quite large. So you would have been there... I think mm. you would have ridden over yourself. I think quite, I, I have. Quite I've seen times. it a few times, but um, yeah. yeah. But it's a bit of a moment. Twenty, so 70.5 kilometers yeah. to go, never strays car. Mm. And then what happened? That was not long after. Well, that was when they were coming. Th- that was a long way out. So that was... Uh, that was on the Obisque, uh, right? That was on the Obisque. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you were still... So I, I received the news late because I received it when I was when I joined you guys after me and I Matt... received the news late. late. <laughs> <laughs> so because me and Matt took over around 60, 65, 70. Mm. Around just after that, that moment. Yeah. And then I received it when you and David came back in to join me after Matt departed. Yep. And then I was like, why have you seen this? And I couldn't concentrate on my commentary because I was like, I wanted to show you and you were really concentrating so was Dave because it was quite the oh. racing was kicking right off wasn't it it was, it was super concentrated yeah. commentary wasn't it yeah it was um, it was I saw you write down Magpie when I said it but Pete had come in I said it was like junior racing or like racing national championships where you said that on air because, but literally Pete had just come in on a break and said it's a bit like racing in no a he junior. didn't actually say it he said I was saying that and then he said I just said that in the, the office so, yeah, he didn't know. We, oh, we okay. both had the same idea. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. fair enough. I thought, oh, fair you enough. You didn't okay. listen right, Ned. Oh, sorry. Um, Do the listeners know what a magpie is? Are they f- up to date on that? Well, our new listeners may not know. I mean, the, the, the phrase dates back to the early years of David, you, me, and Chris Boardman working <laughs> together. <laughs> mm. And it was really a, an attribute that, was, um, that very much characterized Chris Boardman's <laughs> attitude towards his punditry, where... <laughs> Chris Boardman's very good at doing all sorts of things, from carpentry to um, breaking re- world records, breaking world records, becoming Olymp- Olymp- first Olympic champion, launching a multi-million-pound brand, yeah. um, wind uh, tunnels, lob- wind tunnels, lobbying mm. government mm-hmm. to change the world, road safety. Right. Mm. Another one of his little hidden skills is <laughs> that he can sit there at the breakfast table and absorb information mm. without showing any outward signs that he is like a piece of blotting paper just lapping it all up. <laughs> so there were times where we'd be actually talking about the bike race and say quite interesting and hipster things like Valentin Madouas's contribution to David Godu's uh, potential that fourth no place. That no one would ever think of. No, well, yeah. Uh, well. You'd find them, you'd find those little <laughs> shiny jewels of facts um, a little bit later, yeah. when we go on air, they'd be picked up by the magpie, <laughs> a.k.a. Boardman, and all of a sudden they'd be plopped out on television. Like that. So he's always been known as the magpie. So to magpie a stat, is, um, it's, a bit, it's a bit unethical, actually. It's not correct. And it's a, bit, it's a bit like that little gesture that Nathan Van Hooydonk did today to Kobe Hosens, where he just pushed him out. It was slightly... Mm. 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 But you can also share facts. You can share, but Magpie is different. And the fact that you and Ned came up with this term is so good because I I quickly realised, actually you told me about this, probably I'd been on the job for three days. And then I started to notice it everywhere. And then then actually, I was like openly talking about the race situation with Lizzie and Gary. If Lizzie's still listening, she's probably not, but you never know. She's never listened to um, one of these, you know that. No, you never know though, because she's not on it now. 
Uh, I don't, she's not probably not listening. Uh, anyway, yeah. and then she went straight into the commentary booth and repeated what I'd said uh, with you and David. Lizzie yeah. magpied you? Yeah, absolutely. <coughs> full, full magpie. That's full magpie. <laughs> okay. Lesson learned. Yeah. Um, Lesson learned. 75k to go. So then what happened? So literally what happened? Because I, I can't remember. Uh, so the going up the obisk, that's when it started. So Geshka and Kofris were in their Hail Mary to oh. get across. Hail Mary. Uh, no Hail pun intended. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Coming from Lord. Well done. <laughs> yeah. And um but at, at one point they were going and they were the f- it was the final death throw of their move. And death throw? <laughs> and well Stop it, David. <laughs> and and Walt and Walt Van Art was there and, and he saw them weakening and just kinda just jumped across and took a whole other group up to the group behind that was splitting. Oh. Then all of a sudden Geshka was gone and not making it back. He was distanced. He then got dropped, he blew up so bad, yeah. went through the the Yumbo led peloton, I think they were riding then. Yeah, they? they were. Yeah, yeah. And Trek just went to the front because they had to get Chaconi. Yeah, because Chaconi was the only, only, only contender in that front group that was left. And he took the first climb, didn't yeah. he? So yeah, well, I think so that's where we were. So he took the twenty. Yeah. He took the twenty points. He moved to within yeah. three points. And we were thinking again. The King of the Mountains competition has been so much more interesting than it's ever been. Oh, today was. An end and of it, days, and it completely changed the shape mm-hmm. of the early part of the race, at least today. Yeah. And we were all, you know, before the tour got underway, we were talking about the green jersey competition being the thriller. Turns out, no, no. The, the the polka dot jersey is so good. So at that point in the race, Ciccone was on sixty-one points, Geshka was on sixty-four. Who knows what was going to happen in the next two climbs? But if the race had stopped then, Ciccone and Geshka would have been separated by three points, with three points remaining in the Tour de France. Full stop, mm. right? So two um, tomorrow, yeah, two tomorrow, and then one. <laughs> Interestingly, one on the final stage in Paris, which has never in my lifetime been contested ever that final point. But it might have been, and there's that tantalising prospect. And then we suddenly worked out that that magic figure of um, sixty-seven points, which would be the winning total, could also be achieved by a number of other riders, including Jonas Vingegaard, if he finished second. And if Pogacar mm-hmm. were to win the stage, and then, unbelievably, by Wout van Aert. But I'm jumping yeah. forward a little bit. But there was a prospect yeah. of, f- uh, at one point, of, of, of multiple different riders finishing the, st- the day on 67 points. Yeah. It was extraordinary. And so what then happened next? They come down, and uh, Pogacar at this point only has uh, here. She's gone. Uh, McNulty has left. Basically. McNulty's left, yeah. and um, oh, what's a Danish guy called? Uh, I know. And UAE. I know. Do you know? Pete? Danish. Mikkel yeah. Bjerga. Yeah. Bjerga. He was yeah. there. No, yeah. he was no, dropped he was first dropped, yeah. early yeah, doors yeah, straight away. when Wout was lighting it up like in the first 10, 15Ks and just making it like Danish. hell for everybody. Did you not? No. Mikkel? Yeah, Bjerg. There you go. Yeah, obviously not. So it's one of those invisible yeah. Gs, guys. Yeah. So yeah. they come into the second climb and of the three big mountains and McNulty hits the front. Yep. And it was like, okay, we're going to start it, what happened yesterday again. Yeah. There was no Bjerg there, but that had lasted about half the climb. Yeah. And then Tade started furiously attacking. Actually, probably only a third of the climb. And he just he went, he just went, he went bananas. Maybe. He attacked off McNulty's pace, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. He knew that McNulty quite wasn't quite mm. on the stellar day that he had been the previous day. Mm. And he went super early with about five, six K mm-hmm. to go from the top. And he went once, twice, three, four. And I think it was his fifth attack where he yeah. actually opened up a tiny gap to Jonas Vingegaard. Yeah. Other than that, first time. and it was the first time, and Vingegaard closed it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. 
Then they got to the top, the top of that climb, and we were listening to race radio at the time, David, and there were warnings on race radio about the descent. One thing before that, yeah. just because yeah. when Taddy started attacking, Walt went to the front of the group and started hammering. So he then led the group that yeah, was at that point four minutes purpose, at the bottom. wasn't it? The breakaway. Yeah. So yeah. the moment he heard that the attack started, he just went to the front of that group. Oh, I think it was when McNulty started riding. Yeah. He just went and just rode the whole climb on his own. It was Van Aert versus McNulty. Yeah. In two different groups. Yes. With about two minutes between them. Yeah. Uh, and four minutes at the bottom and then two minutes. Two minutes because yeah. McNulty had closed yeah. the gap so yeah. much and then Van Aert started hammering it on the front yeah. and that incidentally dropped Ciccone. Yes. Yeah. Julia right. Ciccone was then out of the points yeah. in the next. So his yeah. bid for the jersey, which was yeah. looking nailed on. Done. All of a sudden, pff, nothing. So Geshka, who's been back four in the minutes game. off the back, is back in the game. So yeah. this might work out okay. Yeah. Unless the GC race takes it to the line. Mm. Oh. <laughs> oh. So the, the highs and lows for Simon Geshka today were... A bit like in his car. A bit like in his car. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the descent. Yeah, the descent, Pete. Pete, Take tell us about the descent. Pete's taking us over the top onto the descent. The descent, where the, the where Pogacar was attacking. Well, two, they were Pogacar oh, being a yeah, goal. so we're on the middle climb. Yeah, the, yeah. what's yeah. it called? The sort of an S. Spondel. Spondel. Call it Spondel, right? In, in Italian, but I think in French it was pronounced like Spondel. Uh, yeah, because I read it like that in commentary. What? And then was about to say the Spanadella. 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 And then back with. <laughs> thank God I didn't. You know, thank yeah. God I didn't take that one on board. Yeah. Um, and say that. Yeah. So then. Yes. Oh, wow. No. So before you get onto that. Oh yeah. We were <laughs> we were driving <laughs> to the finish today. Go on. And we were looking at the mountain ahead of us from so the distance from Lord to the foot of the Otakam is not much, is it? It's only about 12k to the foot of the Otakam. It's close. It's really close by. So we left. And obviously Pete's brain is kind of like, you're just waking up. We had a nice oh coffee God, outside the hotel. Head. No, but talking about the, the Italian thing. Mm-hmm. And you're going... Quite the segue. The Otakam. <laughs> the Otakam. And I can see you're kind of like your hard drive is whirring. And you're going... Search. Otakam. Otakam. What? Search results. Giro. 2011. Giro 2011. Oh, this is good. Search results. Offers up. Miller. Leader's jersey, Giro 2011. It's and then so your mouth, unfair. Your mouth so opens unfair. and you go, David, do you remember the Otacam stage? <laughs> when you were in the leader's jersey and the Giro. Yeah, but the thing was... Then in I, the pouring rain. But I then I was just... I oh. I was then th- remembering that stage in the Giro where you and me decided to like just pull the ripcord. What was uh, it? Gross glockner? Oh, I, I don't know, but it was horrible. It was I wet swear. and it was very similar oh, climate. I, I think you're right. But I was I was in on the conversation because I was remembering the story of the moment. You were buying into it. You were going, yeah, 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 yeah. And then then all of a sudden it was like, hang on a second. No, I think I said. (laughs) No, then you said Giro? Question mark. Yeah, we're so tired. We're a long way from Italy here. Yeah. Uh, I thought about this the whole race, and I was. (laughs) I don't know. Like Autocamp, I was like, I've done this before in the Giro, so I'll remember it when I get there. But I think we've all been slightly infiltrated by the Giro over recent days. I keep calling the Tour de France the Giro oh d'Italia in yeah. commentary. It's very strange. I've had to correct you Awful. twice, and I never but have yeah. to correct you. Yeah, Ned, it's the Tour de France. Ned, it's the Tour de France. <laughs> well, the, the mad thing about this story was we were on this road, like yeah, quite. A, it was almost like a valley road, which is it's quite rare in the in the Pyrenees, isn't it? A valley road. You usually get that in the Alps before you turn right onto a big climb. You know, uh, the, the big big valley uh, road. No, yeah, it's it is like, it is yes, quite rare. Feels it feels less, slightly less you know, structured in the Pyrenees. And I've seen this, and I honestly I was. David, do you remember this? This road in the Giro. <laughs> yeah, and I was <laughs> like, when it was raining, there was a thunderstorm before the before the outcome. So and then it's like, what? And so I was what, like, what was the story? 
of the, the, the actual stage in the Giro in Well, I, I believe I was talking about the Grossglockner. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Saxobank were on the front. Right. And Constor ripped it up, yeah. Yeah. Up the Grossglockner. I don't know why I got them confused. No, but that's just a, a racer flashback. We're remembering yeah. the moment rather than the place. Well, what was the moment? Uh, it was just so you hard. You had a shared moment. We had a shared moment. and The Valley Road. And yeah. And it was just, we both were like, in the race is, fatigue. This is no, why? Yeah, it's why? Like there's nothing to contribute to the race anymore. Yeah, right. It's like you can do anything for your team. I was like, I can't do anything for my team. Mm, Neither is going to win today. Let's just, and we just, it was the first time I think that Pete and I had, oh, and we'd all already bonded because we'd been, the first time we'd raced together hardcore is when I'd taken the pink jersey on stage six yeah it was a bit of yeah. a universal language bond though wasn't it was it? a universal language bond <laughs> <laughs> so so we've been at the sharp end of the race together and then we we were together and it was like oh you're we're both british yeah you're cool i was like you're cool we both pull out together and your that. team car behind and they, if they see you with another rider who's pretty good they're like ah, oh, that's fine that's they're not just pool they're just not doing it for nothing a bit it's like on the Bromptons other teams. when we're in the team cars yeah. isn't it so we basically but no one knows it knows we, who we are yeah we basically <laughs> pulled each other's rip cords so in a moment like that you will be it's really hard and you're next to each other or you're kind of crossing and you do this little kind of look at each other and it's like and there's a gap you just go we're both yeah. like okay we'll, yeah, we'll go together we're safe we're not gonna yeah. get we don't <laughs> feel bad about this because yeah. I'm doing it with somebody else yeah so that was that moment like a tiny Circular firing squad it's or it a mutu it's mutually funny. Uh, uh, yeah, it's funny as Pete when that happens. The universal yeah. language and then also yeah. the universal um, body language because yeah. even I remember the stage after the the stage you were talking about, David, yeah. when we were on the attack and it was a stage where Wayland died, mm. and the day after was just a neutral stage. Yeah, and I remember you were obviously in the Maya Rosa, and you went to the front of the obviously the peloton, walking your bike through. And then you, you kind of look, I look, I remember looking at David and being like, I wonder if he'll like look back. You know, I wonder if he even noticed, mm. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm. That la body language in terms of, it yeah. goes back to the Eve's Lampert and me walking down on the rest day. Mm. You know, should I say hi or should I not? Yeah. And it, it, you, you're almost like putting yourself out there a bit yeah. to get, you know, when you don't know someone that well. D David in the past has spoken on this pod, on this very podcast actually in, great detail about that stage mm. and it's been it's actually if you go back i can't remember which one it was but I, you know look at the show yeah. notes it was actually a uh, you know we won't relive it now no. but it was an incredibly important day in your life Dave, david as a racer very much yeah and uh and a very moving day and um it's quite interesting to hear your take on that so david because you know many people won't know what happened so i'll kind of explain briefly the day after a rider called walter wayland died david had sort of accidentally been well not accidentally he was the leader of the race and therefore had to take the responsibility of dictating to some extent how the peloton would react the day after a fatality on the race and david the 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 the, the, the agreement was that each 10 kilometers would be taken by a different team is that right pete okay is that how you remember it yeah absolutely so yeah. So, so pr presumably at some point team sky just rode on the front two by two, just yeah. to keep the keep the yeah. You know, keep the race ticking over, and on then on your team classification. So it would be the first team to ride would be last on team classification, which mm. was Uskal, and then it went through. So, and then the final team. So my team was a penultimate team because we were leading and had the leaders jersey, yeah. and then the final team was Walt's team. And uh, your t and your yeah. teammate 
who wasn't obviously on White Whalen's team, um, Tyler Farrar, was his best who, who was his best friend, yeah. then joined that he team. Joined that and they they, they, they yeah. rolled over the yeah. line together, and that was that. So mm. yeah, the status of the race leader, Pete. That's what you mm. encountered mm. on that particular occasion, I guess. Yeah, that was hard. But yeah. yeah, so that's that's what got Pete and I confused because we just remembered a similar road. Well, uh, it's, sta- it's stage 18 and you just yeah. had a, like synapses See, crossed yeah. in your brain <laughs> and you short-circuited your own yeah. memories and uh, yeah. yeah, we were on the autocamp. So at this point of the pod, not the, the conversation this morning, we are on the descent <laughs> of the S- Senegal. We are, we are. And then, yeah. and then I heard you say on the st- in the studio the race-defining moment happens. Or, well, there were two incidents. Yeah. And yeah. one of them, uh, you claimed, when you're talking to Gary, you might have revised your opinion now. I no, don't no, I don't. But no. you claim that was the moment the Tour de France was well, won. Well, uh, I mean, for me, anyway, watching it, today, Bogatra got to the point where he was trying to force a mistake from Jonas Vinegar. Simple as. And he did. Mm. And he did. He did force a mistake. And he did. And he continued to mm. until he himself crashed. And then the race-defining moment came just after that. Yeah. When Jonas Vinegard waited for him. Mm. Yeah. Because, and and to, to put this, to understand what's going on here, today Bogatia was trying to force Jonas Vinegard to make a mistake so yep. he could get a gap. When what happened was, <laughs> that actually happened to him. He made his own mistake, he crashed. And... Jonas Vinegar didn't actually say, okay, I'm going to, you know, go on now, go and attack and capitalise on your mistake. I'm going to wait for you. Yep. Mm. And with with what he did there and his actions and his his sportsmanship and his professionalism, there's no way back from that in terms no. of the tactics that mm. um, today Bogatra was trying to mm. implement. Because you can't carry on to, you know, what do you think, David? I agree. And I, this is where I'm not going to magpie, some, magpie something I could have done. Because Andy McGrath, a wonderful writer, I saw a tweet that, that he'd put out, and he said, in hindsight, that that handshake, that, that kind of hold, briefly holding of hands, was almost Pogaccia. The concession. The concession. Yeah. yeah. And it's so right. It was kind of, it was, it was the respect you're right, Pete, and it's so bang on, because if you race against Pogaccio, you know he's going to race you and it's fun for him and crashes and all this are part of it. And don't, this, I think he's a, probably one of the most respectful riders in the world, Pogaccio, but when he's racing, he'll take it to the edge. And he's in mm. second place, mm. which yeah. is a, a very different position to being in first place. Yeah. But I think when he, got, when he made that mistake leading, trying to force, as you say, mistakes from Vingegaard, and he did it himself, and he went down, so rare, and you were saying, you can't remember, Ned, a time when he's ever crashed. No, I mean this a, 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 thi- a crash from, that he's inflicted on himself. But I think this is a really significant mm. detail in this totally anomalous career. You know, we haven't seen the likes of Tadej Pogacar before. Mm. We haven't actually seen the likes of Jonas Vingegaard, but that's no. a sli- slightly different issue. He's three or four years older than Tadej Pogacar, and he's not mm. won the Tour de France twice already. So Pogacar is still special somehow. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, one of the reasons that he is special is that he literally hasn't had to he hasn't crashed in a grand tour he hasn't had that moment he hasn't been sick he hasn't been sick nothing's gone wrong and there it was for the first time holding the bike up for a bit on the gravel and then Mm. suddenly Mm. suddenly all that dignity is lost and you're in a ditch and you're scrabbling Mm -hmm. to get back up and that is the first time Mm. in his career that's happened now when you think of the great champions even riders like you know 
every every rider who wins the tour is a great champion. Whether it's Bradley Wiggins, Geraint Thomas, yeah. Cadell Evans, mm-hmm. you know, Carlos Sastre, all those battle hardened um, riders of much more mature years than Tadej Pogacar have got a, a a list of scars that they have borne to that point. Yeah. Yeah. So their career is full of hitting the deck and getting back up. And then suddenly, you know, eventually they win the Tour de France. Pogacar's just sailed through all that. Mm. He's not had to deal with yeah. that. That'd be very interesting. And mm. then psychologically and tactically and sort of practically, how does he respond as a mm. racer? David, one of the first things you said to me mm. when we came off air today was mm. he has to rethink everything. He has to rethink everything. He has to rethink everything. Yeah. But that came off the back of bumping into Cyril Guimard this morning. Well, tell us about him and, and that. Yeah, so Cyril Guimard was... Uh, my first professional direct sportif and he signed me when I was 19 and and that was 1996 and his whole plan was for me to the Tour de France in the year 2000 when I was 23 because that was the the generation then but previously up to that point he was still just about holding on to the mantle of being the greatest living direct sportif he a French ex-pro racer who in the 1960s early 60s became direct sportif uh, Bernardino, Charlie Motte, Laurent Fignon, Greg LeMond, the list is insane. Uh, probably to this day, he's probably the direct sportif with the most Tour de France wins. And now he's 75 years old. He's been working for French radio for, I think, 15 years. He's out, out of the, the sports team. And I bum- bumped into him coming into the zone technique. Uh, and we had a chat and I got a Polaroid. And, and I asked him. <laughs> and you schlugged him. I schlugged him. Yeah. Uh, and we had a lovely chat and he was asking how I'm doing and kind of these different things and I said what do you think about the race what do you think about Pogaccio what's he going to do today and he said he shouldn't do anything he said he should be thinking about next year uh, he said he's not going to win done. now the race is it's done. done the race is done and he uh, he's never experienced doubts before and this race will fill him with doubts wow and so now he has to consolidate and if he was his direct sportive, if he would have told him to do nothing today and already be planning for how he's going to win next year's Tour de France rather than open himself up to more failings. That was such a Cyril Guimard. He always thinks years ahead. Wow. Yeah, yeah. but with that then, he wouldn't have learnt what today was. Exactly. And that, I agree because I love the, what Pogacar is. But at the same time, he's, he's going to have to have some guidance around him to go, this isn't, you're not going to be able to be, beat Vingegaard by being yourself, you've met, you've met your match. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yes, yeah, so I thought that was really, and it was just really succinct. He was like, he shouldn't. Uh, and that's Cyril Guimard and his classic long-term outlook and the fact that he will win the Tour de France again. But this is the first time, and maybe the fact that this is the first time he's got doubts, uh, he then will overcompensate. But that could turn into a, a vicious circle. So what I love about this whole subject is, we have no idea if he has any doubts and whether he's just a master at dealing with them. Because we don't know. We don't know what goes through his head on a daily basis. Mm. He might have doubts. Mm. He might have negative thoughts and he might just be really good at hiding them. Mm. And that's the beauty of it. But he might not at the same time. He might, you know, he listen to even Vinegar's well, interviews, but we, we just don't know. That's very true. I mean, we clearly have no idea. We can only deal on the evidence of his his, his appearance and his words that he shared with us over the, the last three weeks. And doubts doesn't seem to be a thing for him, does it? It's you know we've well, spoke we've spoken on evidence, we've yeah. spoken repeat yeah exactly we've spoken repeatedly about his um his playful attitude, the fact that he's enjoying his life. But one thing is clear: doubts or no doubts, um, this method hasn't worked. No, no. the approach, the team yeah. building. Yeah. It, you know, he's had bad luck. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. most assuredly, yeah. with the way his team has um, fallen uh, apart at the seams. But he, mm. this hasn't worked. And the one other thing you might have said, said he can't do a season like he's done. He can't race like he does from now on to what, beat Vingegaard. Smash the UAE uh, tour every thing. in February. He, he said he's yeah. he's not going to be, if he wants to beat Vingegaard, he can no longer race the way he does in yeah. every single race he goes to. True. Because he's going to have to come in all guns blazing at his absolute best calculated to beat Vingegaard. Yeah. And that's what's going to make it great because uh, it's yeah because they were shame though isn't it yeah because it's, it's know, a shame yeah. but it's that's racing and yeah. it, but if you imagine what the race would have been like if uh, Yumbo hadn't provoked him with his lack of doubts thinking he'd cover Roglic that uh, Gimardo said he should have never th- followed Roglic yeah. on that stage on yeah, he didn't true. need to he yeah. did not need to and then he got carried away and then he did the whole glibby on the front and he didn't eat so he blew at the end. And that changed the whole race, but again, that was just because he's n- he's never had anybody attack him and get away with it, and now he's in a position where oh okay, so we'll probably have a Pogacar if he does this, which in our romantic si- side of cycling we think oh he's not going to be Pogacar every race he goes to, if we get Pogacar coming to a race where he's properly coming in, we're going to get something like uh, the proper uh, Game of Thrones between Vingegaard and Pogacar. Dreamy, but, yeah. you know, I As don't it know. stands, though, he's going to have to race in his own style to gain time on Vingegaard yeah. before the mountains, uh, real mountains. Completely. And then just not get dropped. Because, as it stands, he is a better climber, in my opinion, than... I think you're right. On an on a actual... Yeah. just If we just talk about a climb itself, mm. a mountain... Vinegar looks more the purer climate. Mm. Pogacar's the better racer yeah. in terms of gaining seconds and you know getting the stage wins. But so with that, I mean, it's still going to be whatever Pogacar does. It's going to be incredible racing because he's going to have to gain time. Yeah. What we can look forward to, I think, with these two, if if it is as simple as that, but I mean, it, you know, it wasn't as simple as that four weeks ago. We were talking about Roglic, for heaven's sake. Yeah. And Vingegaard was a, almost a kind of plan B. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that's how quickly things can change. But so true. If we are genuinely talking about the next two or three years being a battle between these two riders, what is so thrilling about it is that there. It's not like. Do you remember the years of Froome versus Contador? Yeah. Uh, that the Contador Froome years where you knew that Contador would have to probably take quite a lot of time in the mountains because Froome yeah. would kill him and crush mm. him in the in the time trial um, it's not that they are incredibly evenly matched in both disciplines and uh, you know, the individual time trial on stage 20 will tell us uh, give us some more information so, um, we've just had dinner. Yeah, we? I think yeah. it's worth talking about. I've got, I'm gonna, in the edit, you can't hear this now because we're clearly talking live and the music isn't playing in your ears, but in the edit, I'm gonna put in the, a little bit of the music from uh, the, what we were listening to. Yeah. It was nice, wasn't it? Yeah, we did one of our best evacuations. Um, we were focused on pizza because we're on a three, three and a half hour drive now. Well, ga- so yeah, Gaz's Gaz is driving, yeah. yeah. Um, and we went down to a, a village town that we still don't know the name of. Got off the, we got off the, the mountain incredibly efficiently, didn't we, on the Bromptons? Yeah, we did. That was a touch. Took us through the evacuation peak. Can you remember how it went off the top? Put me on the spot. Yeah. Uh, well, we chatted for a bit. We had uh, old boy Macron. 
Yeah, we got stopped by, you know, a very polite but really quite yeah, he firm, was actually, yeah. tooled up copper. Yeah, he was and really We could polite. see that there was, you know, something going on at the finish line. We wanted to just buzz through the finish mm. line and start mm. hitting mm. the descent. And he said, very politely in French, he said, um, no, you have to wait because the presidential delegation is parked up there. And we went, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, this is not. <laughs> yeah, can't, this is not. Let's not, let's not go, no, no, we can't yeah. negotiate this one. And all day, just behind our yeah. our commentary position, helicopters, helicopters. Uh, there had been like because we could see over this little dip in the valley, we could mm. see a helicopter landing, mm. improvised helicopter mm. landing strip, where throughout the day, um, policemen with sharp with rifles had been standing at kind of like all across the hillside, random, randomly, randomly placed. Yeah. Then later on in the day, while we were commentating presidential helicopter itself had landed uh, Macron's grey helicopter mm. th- from which he was going to be evacuated from the mountain mm. and that was all about securing a path for the president to get from mm-hmm. the finish line to there so we thought today's not the day necessarily to argue or to argue test our luck or test our luck with it with it but uh, for, for, for at least four and a half minutes until we decided we were to patient a we did a bit of schlugging oh yeah, yeah. good schlugging yeah while yeah. we did were you there see? had we a good view who did you see now I saw who um, caught your eye Taka van der Horn and Adrien Petit of Antimache mm-hmm. Monte Gobert. Nice. Um, Gary Beckett, we picked him out. Yeah, saw Gary Beckett with quite his red hat. Standing quite close to President Macron. Yeah. Uh, Gary, tell us a bit about what it was like standing close to President Macron. Yeah. Well, at first, I saw, all I saw was big guys with very bulgy jackets on, and then they parted, and there was this little fella standing there. <laughs> I recognise him. Ah, yeah. oh, that's Mr. Macron. <laughs> and he didn't wave, he didn't say hello. He didn't say hello, guys. He didn't ask for autographs. I thought, well, sod you. Yeah, fair enough. Nice. Bit of politics there in the podcast for yeah. a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was very close. I think Gary was within uh, two metres of President Macron. Yeah. Which other riders were down there? Three feet, Gaz reckons. Three feet? Yeah. From Macron? Three, three feet, feet from Macron. David, oh, I was like, that's a security failure. Yeah, because yeah, you came up with the best. <laughs> Theory <laughs> of the tour so far. Yeah. I'll let you tell oh, so, yeah, that. So, so funny. We're, we're behind. His whole life has been dedicated to this moment. They wouldn't, they, they wouldn't <laughs> let us in to the um, to where you were the compound. Although we were allowed in because we got our bikes and they knew we were just trying to do a sneaky exit. So we went where they told us to, which is very unlike us. And that's we were on a, above a bank, looking down at pro cyclists and yeah. press and Ned Schluging. Yeah. And oh come we, on, I wasn't the only one. Uh, Pete, uh, you've admitted to Schluging a little oh bit. Oh yeah. yeah, I'm getting there. Yeah, gone. And then we saw in the distance the the huge huddled by the podium, and Gaz there with his red hat, and and I saw Macron, saw Macron in his white shirt, and it's incredibly close to Gaz, <laughs> and I was like. Uh, and then I, I said to Pete, oh my God, this has been Gaz's whole plan. This is a security slip. <laughs> His, he's been three years undercover. For this moment. For this Four. moment. Yeah, infiltrating like, himself into the now, ITV to, to now, France team. Now he can take him down. Kapang! <laughs> the whole plan was derailed by COVID for two years. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, he couldn't get close yeah. to Macron. Yeah, Got within three feet, game. Gaz. They had no security check, anything. Everyone knows you. Three feet. Or to come stage. <laughs> Stage it's eight. not funny, <laughs> but <what I'm> <laughs> so it was. Could so have taken him out, Gaz. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I went to in 2010 to cover the World Cup, the Football World Cup in Is South that okay Africa. Okay to talk about what a, a president of a country like that on a podcast, just out of interest. No, it's just it's, it's satire. It's yeah, it's obviously. I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's no, in obviously it's Gaz is not undercover, and we don't condone it, that. Even with it in a joke, like what 
Ned, you seem like the type of person who knows. I think it's okay. It's I, okay I don't yeah. think anyone would really believe that Gary Beckett. No, obviously, ever. No, yeah. so I think, or I think I would condone just that. Being or, the, or that David would condone the assassination condone. of no. the potential assassination of President Macron I'm only by Gary Beckett. Of how um, you know the the gendarmerie being and how serious they've taken the race. This, it's been a step up, hasn't it? Oh the yeah, they've been years. they've been pretty firm, but most of their firmness has been about stopping cyclists rather mm, than eliminating true. terrorist potential threats. Gary Beckett <laughs> threats. Uh, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> My sharpshooter. Yeah. <laughs> what I would have liked to have known, Gary. Perhaps you can answer this: is if you had had the chance to eliminate President Macron in that circumstance, how would you have done it? Can have we all had, guess? Yeah. Three of us before he before he answers. I think, I I, I think. I think Gary would have had a, a he would have gone to a hardware shop I know he likes hardware shops mm-hmm. and I'm thinking he would have got some you know relatively unassuming looking tool like a pair of pliers or something like that and maybe just um, how would you kill someone with a, player pli- a pair of pliers I haven't thought not this one through no yeah. this is not none of this is I'm going to go for think? chloroform or like a, a chloroform a, a, what something sneaky or a tommy gun where yeah. he just goes down in the blaze with it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I don't think that would be the case. I uh, think it would actually, Gaz could never kill anybody, and he'd be there, but oh, he'd, been, he'd been given a good cause, and someone else would take him out, and he'd be the scapegoat. Oh, oh, so they'd yeah. place yeah. him? So it'd be a yeah. long-shot assassin, Yeah. and so Gaz would be all psyched up, prepped to do whatever he was going to do. Someone played the long game with him. Yeah, basically. and it was like, bang, it's gone, yeah. and then Gaz is left there. Gaz like, what, what, I didn't do it. What's happened there? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it, it would be like, be Oswald. There. Yeah. yeah, JFK. What's happening? What's happening? What, Hang what's on. Happening? I was supposed to do that. I was supposed. To <laughs> uh, what was that? What was that? Yeah. What was that? Someone. Sh- so I was supposed to blow the bloody doors off. <laughs> <laughs> would it be? I don't know. Guys, how would you have killed Macron? David, you might need a microphone. In. I'd have bored him to death to death with some stories. That <laughs> Gaz wins the pod. That, yeah, uh, he does. Uh, Gaz wins, wins the, the pod, pod. easily. Yeah. Guys, in the 2010 <laughs> South Africa World Cup. Um, we were there for six weeks with ITV, with, with the team I was working with. And because uh, we were on quite a heightened sort of security thing, we had a couple of locally hired uh, security guards, one of whom was called Kevin and the other one wasn't, but I won't tell you his name. So I'm going to give him an alias. I'll call him Peter, but he wasn't called Peter. All right. Peter, we got to know really well over six weeks, spent day after day after day with him. Peter was originally from Zimbabwe, had settled in Cape Town, had had a really amazing life. Had fought in the um, uh, in the in the <coughs> the wars in Angola and in uh, Southwest Africa uh, on the wrong. Well, depends what you want to say. He'd fought for some of the most elite units in the apartheid government um, as a mercenary. Uh, he was originally from, as I say, from Zimbabwe, and his brother had been killed by Mugabe's party, uh, and he'd fled Zimbabwe as a result. And all his life having trained as a, a, a essentially a mercenary and worked as a mercenary and been to some awful places and I have no doubt done some awful things. This is quite dark, isn't it, following on from the Sebastian yeah, Rodriguez story? The Sebastian Rodriguez, we'll, we'll, get, like, we'll get yeah. over the story, but it's just relatively interesting. And it does end on a slightly up note, I promise Good. you. Um, but he, <laughs> after about four weeks, after about four weeks, he told us that it was his lifetime ambition and his sole project in life to assassinate President Robert Mugabe. And 
life goals. Ge- genuinely, he told us all these amazing stories about uh, about crossing the border into Botswana and into Zimbabwe and infiltrating. So wasn't enough. Infiltrating people. No, no. No. <laughs> infiltrating people within the Mugabe household, etc. And how he put into place. He he claimed he'd had meetings. Uh, with some Zimbabwean opposition leaders and the British Foreign Secretary at the time in Cape Town, and all of this, and he he would he had been basically uh, hired or potentially hired to actually carry out the assassination, and he still wanted to do it, and he knew it was a suicide mission. All he wanted was financial security for his wife and his family, because he knew it was kind of all guns blazing, Gary Beckett style. Anyway, we're about a week from the World Cup final when we got the VIP list from FIFA about who would be attending the World Cup final in in uh, Johannesburg and no. one of the names was Robert Mugabe <laughs> and, and Peter I'll call him had a security pass to get into the stadium because he was an accredited so we literally went you're, you're on you're on mate this is game on and he went oh <laughs> and the cameraman the cameraman I was working with Roger said alright you can do it but you've got, we've got to agree a time because Roger had a basically a pitch side position behind one of the goals and all the cameramen were focusing on the football. But if Roger had the tip off that at 32 minutes into the second half, someone would, and uh, Peter was going to do it. By I'm so lost. With a, with a, Peter <laughs> was going to get into the royal box essentially or the VIP box and jump Robert Mugabe and snap his neck. That was the plan. And uh, he tipped Roger, Roger off. He said he'd do it in the 32nd minute of the second half. And Roger was going, I'm going to get the scoop of the century. I'm going to be the only cameraman at that point in the whole of... Uh, and you're all, everyone's in on it. <laughs> everyone's in on it. <laughs> I, I have a feeling, Ned. It didn't happen. I have a feeling that Peter was taking you on. Mate. Go on. I honestly, honestly, yeah. I won't go into details. Yeah. It's way too dark. He wasn't. Okay. Right, okay, the, the assassination didn't happen. Yeah. But I know a lot about this gentleman and I can stand up pretty much everything that he told me but he mm. didn't carry out the assassination of Why? Robert Mugabe wasn't well, right didn't feel it <laughs> he was working or for ITV as a security guard <laughs> uh, <laughs> it would have been yeah. scandalous yeah but that it would was be like Gary. Goal? it would be like Gary taking out yeah. Macron today but imagine having yeah. those emotions and feelings and he just that, like, might, that, that might have just been Gary's first oh, recon yeah. mission yeah. Yeah. because yeah, yeah, the yeah. president comes Gary's to every tour Gary's playing a super long, long game super long game yeah because yeah. Macron's just been re-elected for another what yeah, I know, five so year term that gives another four years and he comes to Tour de France every year well do you know it would be lucky to get on the next one if he miss if he takes yeah. us to the uh, well, wrong hope, start again. Let's hope no. Anyway, it's a joke. It's a joke, people, and it's a, it's so it's, it's didn't not happen enough, and it's not yeah. happening. Yeah, great um, story though. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. It's really <laughs> yeah. interesting character. So where is he now? Yeah. He's in Cape Town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you've, just, you've just blown the whistle on him. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Come on, Peter, fake name from Cape Town. Oh yeah, sorry. Right, Peter, Very fake good. name from Cape Town. Who? Who used to work for ITV? Yeah. Untraceable. Guard, untraceable. It went through <laughs> untraceable. No, the whole well contract. Done, the whole contract went through a third-party organisation in Cape okay. Town. They yeah. weren't employed directly <laughs> by ITV. Mm-hmm. Gone. Internet sleuths. Find that one. Right. Out. Also, are we going to get back to this? Race I was going to get point. back to the race. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. So we left them off. Where so the descent. So Pogacar, the, the handshake, the, consi- the conciliatory, conciliatory oh yeah, handshake. handshake. And then, then at that point, Tish Benoit, his teammates are coming back. Sepkus on a great day. Yeah, yeah. Benoit really? Kuss yeah, come back, there. come back, and yeah. they they brought, oh, no, he's in the break, they, they brought G back. Yeah. G who attacked, yeah. by the way, previously. Oh yeah, that was big. And but then got lived. completely kind of <laughs> yeah. overrun and nuked. Um, yeah. It was good by G to do that. Yeah. Um, but and then meantime, oh, Waltz just plowing on at the front, gets the the bottom of Otkam, 
Danny and Martinez and Thibaut Pino with Thibaut him. Pino. And then Thibaut Pino starts talking to himself. Starts talking to himself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's and horrible to it watch. Horrible I mean, it is a bit watch. horrible to watch because he's not the rider he was three years ago. No. Not quite. No, and he no. thought, and he kind of so good. He hit so out really good. hard at the bottom, and thinking that he'd just ride up, ride Wout van Aert and Danny Martinez off the wheel. Wout van Aert just sitting there spinning. Yeah. And and then yeah. he attacked yeah. them both. And then he attacked them both. Then, then Wout van Aert just attacked them both and took Danny Martinez. But that was when he knew that Sepp Kuss was piling the pressure on. So this is where it got interesting because, and this, again, going back to romantic bike racing, there was no reason for Vingegaard to pile pressure on at this point. The race was done. He had it. He has Pogaccia in his back pocket. He has Sepp Kuss. He has Wout van Aert up the road. Yep. Wout van Aert, uh, as incomprehensible as it seems because he attacked from kilometer zero did 10k's on his own yep. made it into every break has then forced the new breaks is still up the road at one point he goes on the radio yep. and I'd love to know what he asked I know it was probably what do you want me to do yeah or yeah so maybe yeah. not what he asked but yeah. what the answer was yeah uh, th- that whole conversation was fascinating yeah because he did I have a conversation so confusing yeah how good he is because he could have won the stage today if <laughs> he would have totally won the stage today if Sepp Kuss <laughs> if Sepp Kuss if, if Vingegaard and the team had not decided to to deliver Vingegaard for to the, the line to no, the lines David, for the win he's literally riding like an under 23 in uh, under 16 bike race he is with the choices that he makes and the but, decisions but an under 16 I've never seen anything like it uh, Ever Pete, Pete, in my whole career. Pete, remember when you were a junior? Yeah. And there were just kids that were all like more developed. Yeah. Who could just run a muck. Yeah. That's what it's like for well, him. He's exactly. like he's like an adult racing with That's juniors. That's what I mean. But he's not. Yeah. And yeah. Ha- <laughs> throughout this Tour de France, Wavenard is the sole rider in the peloton who has, on multiple occasions, almost every other day, seemingly, mm-hmm. had so much going on <laughs> in his head and in his legs that he has decisions to make like that one at the mm. top of the autocam today yeah. about what he's going to do in this race everyone else it's quite clearly defined Fabio Jakobsen is a sprinter Dylan Grunewagen is a sprinter Caleb Ewan has to get in in the time cut and sprint for the you know Michael Mercu is a lead mm. out man mm. th- th- this that and the other mm. it's all quite obvious Jonas Vingegaard yeah. is there as a general classificator to win well, Van Aert is just going it's rampaging through yeah. the classifications well, and being this kind of astonishing domestic. It's just, me, I've never seen it before. It's the only Tour de France, Ned, where I believe the yellow jersey, and this is with the utmost respect to Jonas Vinegard, isn't the best bike rider in the race. Fact. Because I actually believe it's Wout Van Aert. Yep. It's unbelievable. What, like, I hate to say that word because, but I just, I've never seen anything like it also in my life. Pete, ever. Vingegaard would not have the yellow jersey if it wasn't for Wout van Aert oh, who saved him on the co- cobblestone it's stage d- yeah, that, be a, he, be a he brought race. him back into it the it would race. be a totally yeah completely yeah. that was yeah, the first yeah, and massive intervention right, yeah. that's a big unknown isn't it yeah. well, um, he wouldn't have done I've never seen yeah, it yeah. and and so they're, they're we're now approaching so Thibaut Pino so Sepkus approaching mm. and Wout van Aert then disposes of uh, Thibaut Pino, Danny Martinez goes with him, and then is it a moment? I just get this correct. Danny Martinez Danny Martinez goes ahead and he drops back. So what happened was 
Van, Van Aert then, the gap was closed because Kuss yeah. brought that gap down to 20 seconds. Because he, Kuss, I've never seen Kuss look so absolutely out of his, oh. he was off chops, out of his face, <laughs> destroying himself he to was. try to get to yeah. Wout Van Aert. Yeah, yeah. and then there was that was handover funny. moment and oh. Van Aert goes, okay, it was, yeah. the hardest, it was like the yeah. longest baton change in history. Yeah. It, it, it was just like, perfect. I've got to get was, it to he you. He looked like perfect. one of those huggy yeah. wuggy bears, you know them, David? Oh, he was all over the place. Yeah. And he, like, this is someone who doesn't really express themselves. Yeah. It was like, well, get him off the TV. Because <laughs> I've got to get to the green jersey. So I want to sleep. Cam at the end. <laughs> but that's what happened. And Van Aert, Van Aert just lost. The, Van Aert just eased up a little bit yeah. and yeah. allowed himself to be caught. But, you know, you thought at the time, well, this is Martinez' opportunity. Yeah. This where this is where he goes. And he's a brilliant climber. Yeah. He's absolutely Man, like, top world he's climber. Here's that famous photo. Could not do yeah. anything. It's ridiculous. Can, couldn't do anything. Any, like, old school listeners we have right oh we've got loads okay of if there's loads <laughs> of them right, I worshipped Eric Tarbell thought he was incredible yeah incredible green jersey wearer and winner and with all respect to Eric Zarbel, Welf and Art is just as good a sprinter. But imagine Eric Zarbel being oh. Jan Ulrich's last man in the mountains. Insane. With or two kilometres to go. Or even the, the final mountain day. Or even the seven-time green jersey winner, <laughs> Peter Sagan, was always it's built not, in a monolithic yeah. team built around Peter Sagan. Mm-hmm. He never had any distractions, mm-hmm. any other duty other than to be Peter Sagan. Yeah. He never did that. No. And he wasn't able to do that. This yeah. is completely different. And there was that. So different. So there was that moment. So then. So you're right. It's the best bike I can't believe yeah. I've never spoke about yeah. it before. Well, we're yeah. just getting excited about it now. Aren't yeah, we, we are. Yeah. yeah. So Sepp gets yeah. to him and literally just kind of almost like touches, touches yeah. him There's and the bails out. There's the battle. There you go. You got him. You, you, got you, him. Look, you look after him now. Yeah. And then he winds it up. <laughs> and in the history of Tari Pogacar's life, He's never been dropped by domestique, he which is what Wout van Aert was at that point. <laughs> Wout van Aert. Green and yellow jersey. Ri- yeah. There was green jersey, yellow jersey, white, white jersey. jersey. And it was uh, the green jersey that dropped the white jersey. That dropped the white jersey. You know, that is such an important detail. It's yeah. kind of slipped my... He literally dropped Tadej Pogacar. He dropped Tadej Pogacar. And yeah. then he went deep. Do you think this was like a mental almost... That's why. Yeah, I think he was just How? like, you know... Can't you, do I, this. i got to do yeah. this job. I'll do the job. Malfunction. Yeah. No, today I mean. I don't know. Why he cracked? Because he was like, ha, oh, what? Yeah, anyway, what mm. stage? But and he bike, just ripped yeah. it. But he. This is where Wout van Aert's the best bike racer. He's been out there all day and all done day. Everything. First attack, David. Everything. I mean, people can't comprehend Flag drop, how gone. you can't yeah. do that. You don't do that first attack and, no. and be there in the final. No. Nobody does that, Pete. Do they? No one. No one. It's it's like physiologically. This is what I'm saying. It's nuts. And I know there's going to like kind of cagey people like, oh, what are they on? What are they doing that? Wout van Aert's track record is if this was the 1980s, 70s, 60s, uh, and he would be winning Grand Tours left, right, and center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's Sean like Kelly plus. Greg LeMond. Uh, Bernard, he's, he's like Bernardino. He's basically like Bernardino he's like Bernard plus. In uh, those were it was a different style of bike racing. Now, and this is your point is so valid, Pete. Because in that older school of bike racing, they were, they could win bond sprints, they could time trial, they could do everything. The sports become so specific, and so focused on all these different things that actually, it's these hyper freaks who can recover, who have this crazy power to weight ratio, who can consistently climb, and time trial. But actually, the best bike racers are the old school guys like Bernardino's. Teddy Pogacar is is stuck in between now. 
if if Vingegaard does this because Pogacar's although he can't bunch sprint he's like a Bernardino Greg LeMond mm. Wout Van Aert is Pogacar plus without the climbing yeah, and the lightweight and also Pogacar's not far I mean yeah he's far off a bunch sprint but he, yeah. hol- he holds his own holds his own yeah. uh, like Michael Matthews when he beat yeah. him yeah and that you know yeah. so and we're going into a different era of um, mm. and generation of bike race and, and completely aren't we yeah yeah Completely. What we're witnessing is it's incredible. We're watching. It's always full circle. It's like where do you go from gravel? It's racing? history repeating. Yeah, it's it's going. It's yeah. everything comes back round, doesn't it? In my opinion. Then just to conclude that moment, Wout van Aert he parks it after ditching Pogacar and then rides and, on to finish and lead third. and yeah. rides on to finish third. Yeah. Whoa. And he was really riding towards the end as yeah. well. Like yeah. he was yeah. finishing oh, no, he fast. Yeah. And yeah. also, um, one. The, the the one the main thing I took from today was Wout van Aert's celebration over the line it was genuine. With it, well, not just genuine, David, it and the win that yeah. Jonas Vingegaard took and Jumbo Visma took today mm. was there was more passion in that than any stage when he took throughout the, yes. the race, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. because it was just it was pure emotion. He, he did this over kind of his face. He did this crouch down, one hand on the handlebars, and just did it this was like a roar. cut punch and just screamed. Yeah, we did it. We yeah. did it, and, and and but then P, just in contrast to this, Vingegaard when he crossed the line, mm-hmm. he did the most. It was the most humble yeah. salute I've seen from a yellow jersey who's wrapped the race up ever. Same. He didn't even take the two hands off the handlebars. No, he just took one hand off, put it on his heart, mm-hmm. on his heart, not his sponsor, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then just lifted it off and kind Madness. of bowed his head. Yeah, and kind of thank you. I, I won. Thought, I won a yeah. race in Italy once called yeah. Cappadocia. Was under twenty three and celebrated yeah. for two k. <laughs> <laughs> two kilometers. <laughs> That's humility right there, Pete. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant stuff. I mean, my we discussed this, didn't we, earlier on? My slightly romantically, I would have, I would have wanted Wattenart to have won the stage today. I mean, I, I totally, to get, I totally, yeah. you know. Of course, the yellow jersey wins the Otakam stage. That makes total sense, and it's a beautiful moment, and a, and, a, and, a br- and a brilliant moment. But how special might it have been had Wat van Aert won that stage? Not least because it would have secured him the Polkadot jersey. He would have stood there in Paris in green and Polkadot. And by the way, he's in the top twenty on GC. And for Jumbo Visma as a team, because yeah. there hasn't been questions, but it's been you know who's the best team. It's it's been ups and downs, and yeah. for me. Can you imagine the image that you'd forever have as a sponsor of the yellow and green jersey going across the line oh. on the Otakam? Yeah. The final mountain stage sort of had together yeah. and consolidating not only the yellow and green jersey but the polka dot jersey. The polka dot. It's just like yeah. boom. These what? guys these guys are bike racers. Yeah. yeah. They're and, not and, and we're thinking about podcasts yeah, and PR. Exactly. Um, they just raced to the top mm-hmm. of the Otakam as a team it. and they, they could have done, done it and you know, but they well, <laughs> They didn't they didn't expect <laughs> that. No one, and this is what's always <laughs> amazing. No one expected Wout Van Aert to do what he did today. Even he didn't know he would be able to pull off what he did. The plan in Jonas Vingegaard's and he said in his post race interview, he spoke to his wife this morning and said, I'm I'm gonna win gonna today win. for you yeah. and our daughter. And so that was in his that was his kind of whole drive. And he didn't know that Wout Van he couldn't then post rationalize and go yeah oh i need to give this to to wow yeah. now and he'll get the mountains jersey yeah and pogacha is going to be dropped True. yeah and 
He oh, was just, I just got to get well, to the finish line the first. Man, the Manchester jersey <laughs> classification. I was only, in inverted commas, <laughs> commentating. And I had so many things scratched out. And I'm doing live maths and calculations. Imagine trying to do that. No. And you're yeah. white Van Aert yeah. to go, oh, hang yeah. on, if we do That's this. That's so yeah, it's true. Yeah. I was so tired this morning when I woke up. And I was ready to go home. Spoke to my wife. And I was like, do you know what? I'll get through today. And I'm going to do it for you. Like, <laughs> I am this. I, it's not about me anymore. Like, I am I'm doing it for you. Three yeah. days till Paris. Three days I'm bringing it home, babe. Uh, each day it comes in. Eh? Uh, you know it. Oh, yeah, Fabio Jakobsen did oh, the I did a universal, the universal language. language today. Yeah, the tour is long, huh? And, <laughs> and each day, uh, what, the finish line is a finish line. Ultimately, you have to get through. You have to yeah. get there. You have to yeah. get there also. How did it feel? Really? Um, how did it feel, Fabio, <laughs> knowing that the delay was, was so close <laughs> when you were approaching the finish line? You know, uh, it's hard. There's never a day off as a sprinter. Eh? You're always working. But we had it under control. I have a great team, but they left me. <laughs> yeah, I was all on my own. Eh? <laughs> so I have words like that in the hotel afterwards. No, I can't remember what he said. What did he, he say? Said he said it makes no difference. I no. don't know what the difference is. I can't do something. It makes no difference what it is. The finish line is the finish line. It makes no difference what it is. Eh? The finish line is the finish line. Huh? Yeah. So also. <laughs> but Pete, mm. um, how did the 360 go today? Yeah, oh. how did the 360 go That's today? That's just will end on because mm. we're nearly up to an hour now. Well, so. yeah. I'd you weren't really unhappy with your 360 mm. today, weren't you? Well, I, was I just go yeah. up and down the autocamp just swearing. I, s- I, I, I was sitting there. <laughs> I was sitting in the truck <laughs> in commentary position. Me. I was sitting in commentary position right, trying to write my diary because I was tired and doing it late. And I could just hear you coming back, speaking to Ned, and having a total rant yeah. about how bad and, it went. And the best thing is, I even I, I did, and it took it took me about ten takes to do the intro because <laughs> I was so demoralised. And I tried to do it so many times in a, like a positive way. And then I come back to the truck and I'm like, right, I'm going to do one of these <laughs> outros that we talked about. Yeah, yeah. And I flipped the. You can have it's a little tiny little camera. You can flip it around so you can see yourself. And I looked at myself as I started it, and I said, well. I'm Pete Kenyuk. And then I just, <laughs> then I was just like, oh, I can't do it. Did you not see it through? No, because it, oh. I was just that deflated. Oh, you got a couple more stages it's tomorrow. Re- and this is, this is the job though, isn't it? Yeah. But it's, um, yeah. yeah, I've got, yeah, I can, oh, I, can save long. My, I can save my Torah. <laughs> All right. See you tomorrow, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye.